Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. I hope you'll listen to our past podcast conversations, and if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcasts, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. My new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, is now available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and any online book retailer you prefer. Check out Drive Your Career today. Our podcast today is sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies. Based in Woburn, Massachusetts, Cabot Risk Strategies has created innovative and customized insurance strategies for individuals and families, businesses, nonprofits, commercial real estate, and public entities. Cabot's client base continues to expand both within the region and within the markets they serve. And if you are looking for customized insurance services and solutions, contact Cabot at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. I'm really excited to introduce our next guest today on Be Brave at Work. Jack McGinnis is a senior executive and management consultant with more than 20 years of experience in organizational effectiveness, organizational development, team effectiveness, executive coaching, and leadership development. Engaged by blue chip companies in diverse industries, including energy, pharmaceuticals, software, international development and insurance, Jack graduated with a BS in engineering from the United States Military Academy at West Point and served as an Airborne Ranger Infantry Officer in the U.S. Army. And I'm really thrilled to have Jack with us today because probably one of the areas we're going to be talking about is information that's included in his new book, Building Great Leadership Teams, A Practical Approach for Unleashing the Full Potential of Your Team. Jack, welcome to Be Brave at Work. Well, thank you so much for having me, Ed. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to the discussion. Great. And, you know, I did kind of a light interview introduction of you, and I'm just wondering if you could spend a few more minutes telling our audience a little bit more about your background, kind of what brought you to what you're doing today, and kind of how you're currently interacting in the marketplace. Yeah, sure. So I'll give you a quick quick overview of why I'm doing what I'm doing right now, and it has a lot to do with my career and how it developed. I was very fortunate after I got to the military and got my MBA to be connected with a partner from Deloitte who was starting his own firm in 1991-92 timeframe. And I had the privilege of helping to start, was one of his first employees, he was about 15 years older than me, one of his first employees and helped not only to learn how to be a good management consultant from a really high pedigree management consultant, but also to build a firm from nothing. And so I learned two pretty cool skills in parallel with each other. And, you know, so I became the chief operating officer of that firm, helped, you know, the operations of the firm, the managing the portfolio projects, and learned how to be a good management consultant at the same time. The, the interesting thing there is the niche we had was something called change management. A lot of, it's a buzzword now, but in the early 90s, it was a sort of a new term and the, a lot of the people that Grant hired in after us were PhDs in psychology, masters in organizational behavior. So I'm an engineer with an MBA that 
thinks things are black and white and you solve things by coming up with process maps and organization charts and reports. And I learned very quickly that people uh, have to be brought along in the process. And I, I learned some really cool techniques and tools and mindsets on how to do that. So that was the first part of my career. The second part, I left that firm after 13 years. It was a great, great environment with a great culture and a fast paced environment, but it was very high demand on families. So I had young kids and cashed out of that firm and bought another company with a couple passive investors. It was a contract packaging company that we packaged product for companies like Unilever, Godiva, Hershey. Turnaround did pretty well, uh, put a lot of money into it. And then the financial crisis came and took the rug out from under us and we wound up going bankrupt. And so I'm in my late 30s and trying to figure out what I want to do next. And one of my best friends from West Point was getting his PhD in leadership at GW, put our heads together. And this is what we form. We form a company called Relationship Impact. It has morphed into a whole bunch of different things. But really, over the last, I'd say, nine or 10 years, we work with the executive teams of growing companies to help their teams get in shape, both structurally and relationally, so that they can help accelerate rather than hinder their organization's health and productivity. My background, I think, you know, having run a couple of companies, having worked across a multitude of companies and having the trials and tribulations of going through a bankruptcy and also working as a COO and not being perfect at being a CEO either, learned a lot about myself over those years. And I think it gives me the empathy and compassion needed to work with the executives that I work with every day and it enables me to do it in a direct but compassionate way. Well, you mentioned that your first post-military work was at a firm that started from nothing. Yes. You mentioned, you know, starting uh, a business from scratch. And I'm just wondering if you can recall and reflect a little bit on those early days. Is that something that you think required bravery? Was it uh, risk? What, you know, what, what are some of the words that you might use to describe yeah. what that experience felt like? Well, you know, um, I was young back in 26, so I didn't have the risk on me. I didn't, you know, I didn't own anything right away. So uh, the really the risk was on, on my boss and the, and the founder. Um, but, you know, it was a bit of a risk. I moved, from, I was living in New York. I had to move, commuted for a while from New York to D.C. And, and so there was a little risk in that. My wife had a great career. You know, she's a, she's a partner at a law firm. So early on, she had to move down here and switch law firms. But, you know, I didn't feel that risk back then because I was young without kids. But I tell you, what the real risk was buying a company and having to pay payroll early on when things weren't going well. And then later on when things got worse and that risk and the bravery there, I think, was in managing the downturn, really. I certainly remember the financial downturn that you mentioned, and I think you're talking about 2008. Yes, I am. Right? Yeah, that's the year that I left my former employer. It's somewhat related to the, the downturn, but that was a tough year for everyone. And I remember at that time, I was leaving corporate America to go into consulting, and it was the worst time to go into consulting because even the larger consulting firms were saying, you know, not only did our business reduce to a trickle, in some cases, there our clients shut the door right. and said, you know, we're not going to be using you at all this year. We may not be using you next year, but as soon as we can, we'll have you back. But there's not going to be anything <laughs> at all. So I'm not saying I'm not surprised, but I think the impact that you're describing happened to a lot of people. You asked a question about bravery. You know, when you're going through a bankruptcy, 
you have creditors knocking on your door and people that you've partnered with, people that you've built good relationships with, that's in some cases you just can't pay, right? And you want to, but you can't. <laughs> and so I hired a CFO early on who was about 15 years older than me. I remember on Friday, most Friday nights, we would sit in my office or his office. He would say, you have to call these people, even if you have bad news for them. And he said, you don't want me doing it. It's not right for me to do it only. And so he, he, uh, that required a lot of bravery and feeling pretty awful often, often about it. Now, you know, we did our best to take care of our creditors and our employees. That required a lot of bravery for sure. No doubt. And, you know, I think during that time, well, you know, just to go back for a second, Jack, when you think about bankruptcy, of course, any outflow of cash, once you declare bankruptcy, is governed, right? You can't decide to pay somebody or not pay somebody else. But another entity is managing your outflow, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's that is a tough situation. So you left there and you know opened up your own firm, Relationship Impact. Why teams? Why did you and your colleague Sure. Uh, and well, do you focus only on teams? But, you know, and if you do, why teams? Why is that such an attraction for you and your colleague? You know, so it is only on teams and it's an even more narrow than that. It's only on leadership teams. So we had a point of view that in our experience in working with all the companies that we work with, big and small, that leadership teams for particularly small to mid-sized companies are really pivotal to the health and productivity of their organizations. And really good ones help their organizations accelerate progress and not so good ones actually decelerate or hinder progress. And so we saw that dynamic in our careers and decided that we thought we had a unique point of view on how to address it, both from the stuff that we had seen as management consultants and executive, my partner was an executive in the pharmaceutical industry, and also based on some of the stuff we didn't do so well as leaders in, in the organizations that we worked with. So that's kind of why we did it. We thought we had a unique point of view. We, we recognize that leadership teams are a very important construct in any organization, and we felt like we had something to say and help them with. Well, I think teams are a place where bravery at work exists almost all the time. And I'd like to do a quick little autopsy, if we can, Jack, on teams. First of all, are sales for teamwork different than sales for individuals? And is it harder, right? Are people just as easy to buy consulting and client engagements for teams as they are individuals? I'm just curious what your experience has been on that front. You mean individual coaching versus team coaching? Yeah. You know, oftentimes people hire a coach to come in and to work one-on-one -on -one with an individual. Yes. With a team, of course, you have five, eight, 10, 12 people. And it just seems to be, in some cases, I'm using the word harder, but I'm not sure what the best word is, but harder to sell or land an engagement with teams, whereas the need for coaching with a team is greater. I would agree with you. Um, that's been our experience. People know what executive coaches are, and we really aren't executive coaches. We just don't do one-off executive coaching. We work always on behalf of the team. And we do do one-on-one -on -one coaching with the individual executives we work with, and but it's always in the interest of making the team better, not just the individual. Sometimes we're 
people look at us like we're crazy. Like, what is that? We don't, we don't know what an executive team coach is. So <laughs> right. the sales cycle is long. It is, in some cases, it's really intentionally long. We, we try to build strong relationships with, with the folks we're working with and not just the CEOs because we're not just working on behalf of the CEO. We're working on behalf of the organization and the executive or leadership team. Well, part of what you're describing, and I'm not saying this is the case for everyone, but part of the challenge in landing a team engagement may be ignorance of what you do, right? They just don't know what it is to have a team coach or a team consultant, and hence their lack of knowledge roadblock in order to, to move forward. Part of the work that you do, educating them on what you do, how you do it, the it, outcomes that you can help them achieve. It is. And it's basically a conversation. We don't use PowerPoints. We don't, we, you know, when I show up to a meeting is I show up by myself and with just, just myself. And you know, now I show up with my new book, but, <laughs> but, but it's really a conversation and it's really understanding where, you know, how their team, you know, I obviously have a whole bunch of questions that I ask about how their team is working. And, and most folks will say, yeah, you know, we're fine. We're fine. We have, you know, a couple of people that don't get along with each other or whatever. And my probing is always more about, is it getting in the way? If it's getting in the way and it's bleeding downstream in the organization, then we believe we can do something. We can be a helpful resource to work with them. But if it's not getting in the way, every, no team is perfect and there's, there's, you know, there's no situation that's perfect. So if, if it's just an annoyance, then, you know, you don't need to hire um a consultant or a coach. But if it is getting in the way, then you know, we think we can be helpful. Yeah, I believe, Jack, and I'm not su suggesting I'm correct. I've never done this research. I believe every team needs an external third party to observe how they're behaving, obstacles that might get created, other ways to do things that might be more efficient. Have you met a team that you couldn't help at all? Or do you believe that every team can use somebody to come in and help them be more productive and effective? Well, you know, I have to say, I have uh, seen some in the book, I talk a little bit about, you know, very, very little bit about, you know, whether you should hire an executive team coach or not. In fact, I have a really good friend who's been a very, very successful CEO at several companies now. And he has the capability to both be the CEO and sort of the organizational development person at the same time. It's a very unique combination of skills. And, you know, I, he doesn't really need the help. And there are, you know, there are some people out there like that, for sure. I, I would say that, you know, predominantly, you know, in my opinion, I have one hammer and I use it all the time. So, I, you know, we helpful to most organizations. But again, if it's not getting in the way, it's more of an annoyance than anything, then you know, you really don't want to upset the apple core. However, you asked the question, have we ever worked with anyone that couldn't be helped? Absolutely. In the beginning, we, we didn't spend as much time, weren't as diligent in our sales cycle up front in discerning who might be a good client and who might not be. And, you know, there are those CEOs who think their teams need to be fixed and, you know, kind of raise their hands and say, my team. And, you know, they might not say that exactly, but that's how they feel. And we do a better job at discerning that because those CEOs that don't really feel like they're part of any success or, or any challenge that's going on with the team, then they're hard to help. 
Well, there's always going to be people who are hard to help. So that's just the the nature of the beast. And I'm wondering, Jack, if you could reflect for a couple of minutes on bravery sure. as it pertains to teamwork. And I believe, based on my personal experiences being on teams and then my observations of bravery at work as it relates to teams, that you know there are opportunities based on the culture that has been created for people to be braver for people to, with respect and professionalism at all times, to say something that needs to be said or do something that needs to be done, but they avoid it and don't do it for a variety of reasons. And just based on the work that you've been doing over the last several years and the book that you've written, kind of what your observations are and is there a place for greater bravery on teams? Yeah. So people ask me all the time, like, well, what's what's the number one thing that gets in the way of teams being effective as they can be? And, you know, and there's obviously a host of things. But from our perspective, it, there's really, you know, it boils down to one thing. Executive teams need to be able to engage in productive dialogue. And that, you know, it's a, and what productive dialogue is the ability to challenge, debate, disagree sometimes, in a manner that moves discussions forward or moves issues forward productively with minimal relational damage or scars, right? There's not, again, there's nothing perfect, but that ability, adults simply do not like confrontation. So the ability to confront each other productively or confront is a strong word or to engage with each other productively to say, hey, I'm not sure where I agree with that or that seems like, from my perspective, we're going on a path. Like the ability to disagree is a really, really missing link in most executive teams and uh, most organizations. And I think it has a lot to do with the ability to lean into the tough conversations we need to have. Now, there's a whole host of stuff that goes around that, right? There's been a, a lot written. Amy Edmondson wrote a great book. It's a, basically on psychological. The Fearless Corporation. Uh, and psychological safety, right? It's become a buzzword, but I believe it. It's hard to uh, lean into those tough conversations if you think you're going to get your nose swatted by a newspaper every time you do it, or you're going to get judged and stuff. So a lot of the work we do is helping to create the environment where that doesn't happen. But yeah, a lot of bravery involved in being participating effectively on a, on a leadership team. Yeah, I believe the book by Amy is called The Fearless Organization. Yes. And, right. And to your point, it does... And even on the cover uses the phrase psychological safety, which is a culture that leaders need to create on teams in order to do everything that you're describing in respect to leaning into conflict and leaning into disagreement, always respectfully and professionally, but not not doing it just because of a variety of reasons that might be impacting you. Right. Right. Absolutely. Well, Jack, listen, it has been fantastic speaking with you today about your organization and bravery at work. And I want to remind folks of your new book, Building Great Leadership Teams, A Practical Approach for Unleashing the Full Potential of Your Team. I happen to believe that all teams need help. And whether it's in how to create an agenda, to how to lead a meeting, to how to create psychological safety, I think they all need some type of external person to come in and show people not only how to lead a meeting, but how to be brave at these meetings with respect and professionalism at all times. So thank you so much for your thoughts and observations today. Thanks so much, Ed. I appreciate the opportunity. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us today. And we hope you join us on our next podcast conversation as we further explore being brave at work. We also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at bebraveatwork.com 
and or download and listen to our podcast on multiple online platforms. We are everywhere. Our podcast today was sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies, whom you can reach at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at capitrisk.com. And a reminder to check out my new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Own Success, which is available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio everywhere online. Do you have something to say, yet are not saying it? Do you have something to do, yet are not doing it? Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.